You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. Today, I am very excited for our interview that I'm going to play. A few weeks ago, I had a chance to sit down with Dr. Beckett for a series of conversations, and one of those conversations is what I'm going to play for you today. And it was just super exciting to sit down with somebody who was the founder of one of the hobby icons of the 80s and 90s, and Beckett Magazine is something I always look forward to getting every month, both to to read and learn more about the hobby, but also to see the up arrows and down arrows and see how the values of my cards had changed. And so I hope you enjoy the conversation and I'll go ahead and get it started after I tell you about Starstock. I want to take a second to tell you about a new trading card marketplace called Starstock. They're preparing to go live in April, so keep an eye out because the launch is just around the corner. Their goal is to be a faster and cheaper solution to sell cards and they're looking for sellers who want to be some of the first to have their cards available for sale at launch. I'm going to be testing the platform with my own submission. You can buy, store, or flip cards at the push of a button. If you're interested in learning more about getting involved as a seller and getting your cards onto the site for launch, contact Mike via email at mike at starstock.com. They're looking for sellers who have rookie and prospect cards of current players for the major sports. For more details, contact Mike at mike at starstock.com or go to www.starstock.com. Well, welcome back from that quick break. And today I am excited to bring on our guest. And if you collected it at all throughout the 80s and 90s, you are familiar with his work and the company that he founded. Today we've got Dr. Beckett joining us. And I uh, just wanted to say, welcome, Dr. Beckett. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Delighted. I'm a loyal listener to your uh, program, your work, and uh, been looking forward to uh, having a conversation with you. Thanks. Let's go ahead and get started. And and one of the first things that I want to jump right into is some talk about cards. I was curious on what your favorite set of all time is. Well, the first card I ever picked up was 56 tops and I was seven years old. I guess it's, you know, nowadays with the internet, anybody can know how old anybody is. So that's just what it was. But, uh, you know, two pictures on the card, you know, an action pose and and uh, fell in love with that. Of course, I was so in love with cards in 56 that I, I didn't really pick up any more cards till 58. I, somehow I missed 57. Uh, wow. But in 58, it was, it was big in my neighborhood. And then from there on, I pretty much was a little hiatus for high school. I really enjoyed. So 56 tops was my first love. Very cool. Very cool. I, th- I think I'm in a similar situation. 86 was my first year collecting and I still have very fond memories of that, that 86 set. So I think there's something about the, the set that got us started that continues to, to stick with us all these years. I know that you, you know, you've been an avid collector since that time. You know, you've talked in some of your own episodes about how you enjoy going to shows and, and digging through boxes. And I was just kind of curious when you go to shows today, what is it that you're looking for? You know, items for your own collection, items to resell items that, you know, friends are looking for, you know, what is it that, that you enjoy searching for when you go to shows? 
you nailed it, Mike. I mean, that's basically the three piles. One is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to find things that I like. I'm going to find things that I think my friends would like that I could show. And then there's going to, and, and then, you know, the, the capitalist in me says, you know what, if I can also pick up cards that I can resell and uh, make enough off the ones that I resell that the other ones are kind of free. So mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of the way it works out. So uh, there, there, there are some, uh, there's some bargains there in the old days. All I would ever do is pick up cards that I needed for uh, picturing in the, uh, in the really mostly the annual books that we could have a, a type card collection, but that meant I passed on, you know, I'd be looking at things, you know, in a, and, and, and passing on anything, even though if it was not that I'm a flipper, but it's just, if it's marked at X and I think I can pretty easily sell it for two X, then I would have passed on it. I would have passed on it at 10 X, you know, 20 years ago, but now I'm a free agent and, uh, it's kind of fun. So, and, and so if I were only looking in the box for only cards that are just of interest to me, it, it, there, there just aren't enough. There aren't enough. So, so I broadened it. Those, those are three excellent piles, Mike. Thank yeah. you for clarifying that for me. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. Now, you know, in the time that you've been collecting, you've seen eras of the industry where we've had one U.S. manufacturer for all sports. We've had several manufacturers during the era of wide availability in the 90s. And now, you know, we're in an area where, or an era where we've got exclusive licenses. And I was just curious, you know, from the experience that you've had and what you've seen, what do you see as the optimal setup when it comes to licensing and manufacturers? Well, selfishly, being a price guide guy, it sure was simpler when, uh, when it was just tops. And uh, even when it was just Topps, Donners, and Fleer, uh, those were some of the years when I did price guides and I really didn't have, uh, I had contributors, but not really uh, full-time teammates. Uh, that next, that, that uh, era of uh, maximum card availability, there were 13 licenses uh, for football cards. And that was uh, a big challenge for doing price guides because you had all these different companies competing with each other. Some obviously not very successful because successfully because they're out of business. Having said that, it's even more difficult now to do pricing of, you know, to do accurate price guides for my uh, associates at, at uh, Beckett Media with even just with one company when they have so many uh, sub brands within that license. It is super difficult to come up with timely, accurate pricing. And I'm, I'm glad I'm retired in that respect. You'd think it'd be easier if if uh, if uh, Upper Deck is the only one doing fully licensed hockey cards, but it's still really hard because they're 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 aggressively trying to cover that category. You know, I wish there was a little more competition to, to allow some of these manufacturers to have to challenge each other a little bit more or, or stay a little bit more cutting edge. But yeah, it's it. It can be complicated, I think, both from that licensing and pricing. I totally agree in a perfect world. But uh, if you were to, you know, for whatever number of releases that Tops puts out, uh, if you <laughs> chop it in half and get, you'd think, well, they could just chop that in half, give the other half to somebody else and let them compete with each other. But, you know, that's 
I'm with you, Mike. I'd like for that to happen. I just don't think in the current uh, licensing realities it's going to happen. You know, you've talked some also about how some of us podcasters, bloggers, and other hobby content producers serve somewhat as ambassadors for the hobby. You know, we have a role in educating collectors and to some extent, even, you know, promoting the variety of ways that there are today to enjoy the hobby. But I'm curious to know kind of what you think about how can we also use our platforms to best influence the manufacturers? Well, uh, there, uh, there, it's not like they're not listening. I mean, I know people at each of those companies. In fact, in every one of those companies, there's somebody that I used to work with or used to work with me and they're, they're sharp, they're sharp. So they're not wearing earplugs. Uh, what I think you're asking is that if the opinions and ideas can be galvanized sort of, or, or uh, formulated on a level that's not just a rant, then mm-hmm. that could be constructive criticism that they could deal with. I think you're a pretty positive guy. I try to be a positive guy. So uh, it's, I don't know if you've ever subscribed to men's health, but that, that magazine, they've always got a page in there, eat this, not that, you know, mm-hmm. so here's something that's not healthy for you. Don't do that anymore, but eat this instead. It's better nutritional content and will taste just as good. That's the way to approach the card companies. It's do this, not that. And uh, if it makes sense to them, I th- they'll, they'll listen. It's just that it's – the other thing that's good about the card companies, good and bad, is that they, they're very competitive with each other, even in spite of having the different uh, single-source uh, sports. If Panini's doing something really well, tops is it's not in a vacuum they're going to notice it so again if we can be encouraging things we like and giving constructive criticism for things we don't like instead of just saying hey that's terrible quit doing that uh give them give them some alternatives something else that i've been thinking about is you know how we all need to be open to learning from our mistakes and i think in one of our prior conversations that you and i had I kind of talked about one of my biggest collecting mistakes was trading a 1968 Gale Sayers for a Jim McMahon rookie card. And um, while it may have been somewhat equal through the entirety of what we had put together in that trade, it ended up not working out so well for me in the long run. I was just kind of curious if you had kind of a collecting fail of your own, um, a a mistake that that you made along the way um, that you wish you could uh, go back and maybe undo. Uh, I guess I go public with this now since I told you my favorite set was 56 tops. My very first trade in the organized hobby was with a guy who became a very, very close friend, but he certainly bested me in our first trade. And that was, I had uh, some Gaudi cards from my dad and he had some 56 tops cards and he said, you know, what do you, what do you think? Let's, uh, you know, I, I'd like some of these older cards and you're obviously trying to complete your 56 top set. So I said, well, I need these eight cards. I need these eight cards uh, in 56 tops to, to get close to finishing my set. And he said, well, okay. Uh, uh, should I pick out uh, eight of these Gaudis? <laughs> yep. And I said, and again, this is in the, this was in the early seventies. It's in the early seventies. So that they weren't that they, you know, you 50 years have gone by. 
And like I right. said, this guy is a great guy. And I said, well, now, I, I don't think one for one is, is, uh, seems fair because these are older. Even without any price guides, I think, gee, it just seems like older. And they weren't in fabulous shape, but they were, you know, the, his 56 tops weren't in, weren't in mint condition either. So we finally agreed on eight for three. So I gave okay. up three Gaudi cards. That's actually not my worst trade, but that was my first my first actual trade in the organized hobby. Okay. It got better. All right. It got better, Mike. <laughs> there you there you go. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. What about what about something from your time with Beckett and, and getting Beckett off the ground? Is there is there anything there that you would feel is kind of one of your biggest lessons learned that didn't go according to plan at first, but you were able to, to learn from going forward? Uh, I like to say I was an overnight success. Basically, I worked all night, <laughs> many nights to uh, get it off the ground. And it uh, didn't take any salary. It just, you know, no, it had no, no bright light at the end of the tunnel for the first two years. And then all of a sudden started started taking off and it really took off when I started hiring and bringing on some really talented uh, teammates. So, I mean, I got it, I got it up and floating and then it, it, it really took off as uh, I added some very high quality uh, teammates who uh, many of whom loved the industry and were just excited to be part of the team and others who just high quality, high character uh, people who were just willing to do whatever it takes to, to help our company be successful. So do you think that's something you could have done earlier then is bring on those additional team members or is that, is that something you were holding off on intentionally or? I was, I didn't have any money. I mean, it was basically yeah. I was bootstrapping. I mean, I, one of the things, the reason I'm retired now is because I didn't bring in a bunch of partners or a bunch of equity or uh, borrow a bunch of money. So bootstrapping is just kind of pay as you go. And uh, that meant not paying me. Now I had, I had some other, I was, uh, it, it kind of started as a side gig because I had some uh, consulting that was reasonably lucrative to where I could live off that, but I couldn't, I didn't have money to pay a bunch of employees. So it, it kind of, um, we just added as absolutely necessary. And it, it, uh, it gave us a, especially for the first several years had a real, spirit of of being lean and being kind of family oriented we had a, we had a great close-knit team we're very blessed very blessed and uh, to be in dallas dallas was a great place and uh, you know had a great ride through through the heyday and kind of the the peak popularity of the price guide and the the magazines you know you were foundational in helping create written hobby content and now you're involved in creating audio content through the podcast. I was curious if from what you've seen in both what's available in, in the blogging world as well as what's available in the podcasting world, if there's a particular hobby content area that you still feel is a bit lacking. Uh, I, I don't think I would say that. I mean, I'm not really up. I, I don't do a lot of... Uh, you know, the, the blogs are, are, are not as much my thing because I've, I've read my quota for my lifetime, I think, in some sense. But as far as listening, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge consumer of audiobooks. 
So everything I can possibly do audio, I do, and the podcasts are great out there. So, so there's, there's, uh, so, I mean, I, I love your podcast. I, I, I mean, all of them have a different niche. And yet when I started, I thought, you know what, I can do my own version of something. I'm not copying what anybody's doing. I'm going to do what, what, what I think I can do. And it's, it's different than what the other people are doing. So doesn't mean it's better. It's, it's better at certain things and not as good at other things. So the fact that there's a landscape filled with a bunch of different podcasts um, is a good thing. As far as what I'd like to see, not necessarily more podcasts, but like I said, I'd like to see more, like you said, I think there's an opportunity for the podcasters. There's a lot of uh, camaraderie among the podcasters to kind of not necessarily get together formally, but to really, if, when there's some themes that need to be expressed for the betterment of the industry, uh, I think there's, uh, with, with, with few exceptions, most of these podcasters really want to want to make the hobby a better place. Uh, the one thing I'm going to spend a little more time on going forward, I think is, uh, in the, in the digital world, I think the, the whole idea of, uh, podcasting was not even comprehended 20 years ago. And so there are new technologies that are coming up. Uh, uh, collecting cards is uh, grudgingly moving into the 21st century. This uh, coronavirus thing is, is uh, hustling that up a little bit. But there's a lot more uh, digital innovation at all levels of our industry. And I, I hope to, to bring some of them to the attention. They're in various stages of, uh, of uh, formulation. But I, I don't know that people are doing that. Uh, I know when we had our company, it's, it's hard to uh, cannibalize your own product. When sure. we were doing auctions and, and doing online price guides, there was a lot of concern on my part, as well as others, that, wait a minute, well, how's this going to affect our print magazines? Well, some of these digital strategies are going to get done. So either the established players are going to do it or there's going to be some disruptive newcomers, which you've, you've probably already seen. So I'm saying it's, it's a free world out there, and I, I hope there's some increasing innovation brought to our industry to make it even more fun and relevant. Very good. Well, I think that might be a, a good place to end our conversation today. So, you know, thanks again for, for coming on. I want to give people a chance to know where they can get in touch with you and, and find your podcast. So would you mind sharing the, the best way for people to, to reach out and get in touch with you? Uh, no touching. It's coronavirus no t- uh, so <laughs> 19. No touching. Okay. Maybe elbow bumps, but uh, no, I, I, my main thrust, uh, Mike, as you know, is just the podcast. So I, I, I do accept emails at drjamesbeckett at gmail.com. That's all spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R. And I get, I get uh, uh, some emails that are thoughtful questions that I can incorporate. But my podcast is just titled Dr. James Beckett at Sports Card Insights. Oh, Dr. Beckett, colon, Sports Card Insights. So, you know, I'm doing a daily podcast. And so hopefully when people ask me questions, I can get to their relevant questions pretty quickly. And, and I've had uh, interesting, I've had wonderful guests like you and, and others. And I told my wife, I, you know, that, that, that's enough for me to be on Twitter. Uh, you know, I, I have a daily message that I'm putting out. I, I don't do Sundays, but I do basically a daily message where I'm going to have a chance over the course of four years 
to do approximately a thousand uh, messages about the industry. Some will be reminiscent, some will be forward-looking, some will be what's going on right now, uh, some will be not interviews but tributes to people that have passed away, which has been interesting and and better received than I thought. There's some uh, people that have gone before us who uh, are, are worthy of uh, remembrance. So I'm having a good time as long as I'm doing that. I uh, look forward to communicating this way. And rather than doing uh, one-on-one communication, it's easier for me to take the take the input and then uh, either interview the person or respond to it in a, in a future episode. So thanks, Mike. I, like I said, enjoy what you're doing. And I, I hope each podcaster is true to their own uh, mission statement. Yep. Very, very good. Thanks. Yeah. If you are not listening to uh, Dr. Becca's podcast, I highly recommend um, getting it fired up in Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app of choice. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Mike. Keep up the good work. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, I had a blast sitting down to talk with Dr. Beckett, and I hope that came through in the, the interview itself. And so let me know what you think. Reach out at waxpackhero at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at the Mike Summer, and let me know what you think. And if you've got any questions of your own that you'd like me to address in future episodes. I also want to make sure that you don't forget to check out Underdog Events and Collectibles, an online shop run by collectors for collectors. And this week they're going to be doing a, another break and on Sunday night this week is they're going to break some 2018 and 2019 baseball products. Check them out on Facebook, on Twitter, and Instagram by searching UDog Collect. And in the Facebook group, too, the underdogs, you can have a chance to buy, sell, and trade with other collectors. Remember to always bet on the underdog. And last but not least, don't forget to check out the Hobby Hotline. It's the live call-in show that several of us podcasters do every Saturday morning. It streams live and gives other collectors a chance to call in and ask questions and have a conversation about cards and just celebrate the hobby. And so check that out. It's streamed live on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. Just check out at Hobby Hotline for all the details. Well, that's all I have for you today. I'll catch you next time.